Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast presented by Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, visit lancasterarchery.com. We've got the gear, we've got the knowledge, we've got the passion. Well, that line right there says it all. For for, for bow hunters, we're moving into the prime time. I always call this uh, first two weeks of November sort of like Christmas come early for bow hunters. It's a time that most bow hunters live for. And uh, I'm really excited. I have uh, two special guests today on the podcast. I've known for a long time, um, both from the Pennsylvania Game Commission, uh, Dave Mitchell and Matt Moret. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, Mark. Yeah, now you guys are are, are longtime deer and archery hunters, so hopefully this is going to be a piece of cake. But we're going to we're going to cover a lot of things, and I'd like to start, and we'll start with you, Matt. Um, uh, you live in the Harrisburg area of Pennsylvania, and um, you've hunted all across the country. And most people know you you were a, a world famous turkey hunter, but you're a big deer hunter too. Talk about your deer hunting spots now a little bit in general terms, what the setup's like. Are you hunting public, private land, a mix of both? And I think that'll be a great way. And, and Dave, we'll do the same with you, but it'll be a good way to jump into this conversation. Well, Mark, you know, I have been fortunate to hunt all over the country. And, uh, you know, in my past career working in the in the outdoor industry and, and doing television and writers, I mean, just everything. And, and I've got to see the best from, you know, from Kansas to to Missouri, to Iowa. I lived in Iowa for almost seven years. So, you know, back before, honestly, before hunting big bucks was cool. You know, I was there right at the at the cutting edge when the juries and, you know, all those folks started heading out. Matter of fact, when I lived there the first year, non-residents couldn't hunt. But let's take it back a notch. You know, in, in 2012, I changed, changed jobs and came strictly in the turkey industry when I went to work for Avian X and, and I stopped deer hunting all over the country and I got back home to Pennsylvania. So for the last 10 years, I've got to take everything I've learned and bring it back to my roots, to my tradition. And I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I love it here more now than I did when I was a kid before I started traveling. And, you know, for, my, for myself, I, I had moved over to Perry County, which is across the river from, from uh, Harrisburg. And um, about eight years ago, and I can't wait to get in a stand every time I can, you know, when the wind's right, conditions are right. You know, my setups, I, I do have some private ground that I hunt, some that's my own, a small track. Um, I have a piece that I hunt with some buddies in northern Perry County and, you know, venture out onto some public ground sometimes, you know, with, with, with Dave Mitchell. Dave Mitchell's turned me into a whole different person since I came I mean, personally, has turned me into a different deer hunter uh, since I came to work for the Game Commission. I look at the woods a whole lot different today than I did 10 years ago. And um, the bottom line is I'm going back to some, what old timers told me. Um, you can't catch 10 pound bass in a lake where 10 pound bass don't live. So you got to hunt where the deer live. And when I moved to Iowa and the, you know, the real big buck craze started happening, another old farmer told me, he said, you, Matt, you want to know what the key to killing 180 inch deer is? And I, of course, at that time, man, I couldn't wait to see one, let alone get a shot at one. He said, you got to let 150s walk by. And if you're talking about big bucks, I mean, they're a whole different breed. Uh, obviously, here in the next, at the time we're talking right now, they're getting a little bit dumb because something else takes over their mind. And, you know, related to 
humans a lot, you know, you know, as you grow older, you get smarter, but sometimes those girls make you stupid. And that's exactly what happens in whitetails. <laughs> now's the time to be out there. But, you know, my, my hunting is, is varied. Um, I try to hunt, you know, I try to scout more than I hunt. And I try to have good access to my stands. I think that's the key to success. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, I'm to the point in my, my age, maybe that I just love being out there. And after you, after you, pull the trigger on your release or if you're whatever you're hunting with and, and it's over, I get sad a little bit because season's over. I like to spend as much time as possible when I'm out there. So that's just a little bit of on, on my side. I know it's not like deep down tactics, but the more you're out there and the smarter you hunt, the more deer you're going to see is the, is the bottom line. Absolutely. And you're right. It really is about that sort of, let's call it a holistic experience. It's about the whole thing. When you put every piece of the pie together, it's not always about getting an animal, but the time you spend with family and friends you know, taking in nature, I'd say fall and spring are the two beautiful times of the year in this state here. And you mentioned uh, Dave giving you some, I'm assuming you mean some tips to help en enhance your deer hunting and your deer hunting experience. And I have to say, I've known Dave for, I want to say well over 20 years. And um, Dave, I'm, I'm going to say something here that, that I wholly mean. You are probably one of the best deer hunters that I know and one of the best big buck hunters in Pennsylvania. You, you and I actually lived in the same county and uh, not at the same time, but in the same township at one point. And about uh, 20 years ago, I was interviewing you when I was a, a newspaper reporter and you gave me uh, the biggest piece of advice that I carry with me today. And you said something on lines and I'm not even sure if you remember this, but you talked about when you hunt during the rut and you said after keeping a log in a diary, you found the most Big buck sightings and and the most success you had were between November fourth and the eighth. It could vary a little bit from year to year. Well, when I moved out here uh, to to where I live now, I had some really good honey holes. And as you know, the deer numbers where I live here in in, in Lehigh County in southeastern Pennsylvania aren't as high as they were at one time. We have very liberal gun seasons here. I thought I'd forgotten how to deer hunt. I put together based on that information you gave me, and I found that the November 4th to the 6th are the best days for me to be in my stand and my house if the weather conditions, the wind conditions are right. And I want to thank you for that. And, and I've never done this on the podcast, but I had to put that piece of information together because I couldn't figure out the first couple of years I moved out here how to kill a deer on my small parcel that I own, which is only about four acres of woods. And it's an open road on one side and an open field on the other. So it's it's not the most conducive spot for deer hunting. But using that, I'm pretty successful now. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Mark. And uh, I do remember that. And when I hunted in that area, the Lehigh Valley, that was what I found. Um, I've since moved a little bit north, not very far, maybe 20, 25 miles. But I now live north of uh, the Blue Mountain. And what I found is those dates have shifted back. So according to my notes and journals and trail cam, uh, I see most of my daytime buck activity now where, where I live between like the 13th and the 16th of November, which blew my mind because I spent a lot of time early on out there hunting and uh, I wasn't seeing the deer activity. And, and I realized now that, you know, it was happening a little bit later and, and I have no idea why that is, but, uh, but yeah, where I'm at right now, it seems like a little bit later in the season, the, the bucks are more active. Uh, now, that being said, I still do get a chance to hunt down your way sometimes. And uh, I'm starting my archery hunting vacation on November 1st. So uh, uh -huh. 
I, I still believe in those dates down there uh, in the Lehigh Valley. And, uh, but yeah, I definitely do remember that. And, and that's one thing that, that I like to do is I like to keep my trail camera pictures, especially the ones that show daytime activity. I like to take notes about when I'm hunting, what I'm seeing, when I'm seeing it. And you can start to build patterns of, of in that local area when the deer are the most active. And uh, it's, it's worked very well for me over the years. I, I know one thing like the first, I had, uh, an area near your house there where I used to hunt and um, the first cold snap after the 15th of October, I knew that I would have a mature buck checking scrapes in that little woodlot. And in fact, it might've been the first or second year that I knew Matt, I told him, I said, I'm going to kill a good one tomorrow. And he's like, why? And I'm like, big temperature drop. I said, I got a spot. And and sure enough, ended up uh, going into that woods and shooting like a, a six and a half year old 10 point. And it's just that knowledge over time, you can really kind of put some pieces together if you take the time to, to keep those notes on it. So, and, and that's so go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Dave, do you think that's a lot? I'm just, this is total non-science. This is just a hunter's point of view. Do you think that later movement is like post rut when the, when the bucks are coming, when most of the does are already been through peak? Cause if you look at the trend across the country, a lot of that, you know, especially when people hunting mature bucks, they'd rather be out there post, you know, just after those does stop, you know, at the peak of the rut, they seem to get a lot more activity as, as bucks are still cruising hard. Do you, do you think that in any of your notes? I'm just asking. Yeah, I, it, that may be the case up, up, up where I live now, but down there in, uh, in the Lehigh Valley, I believe it was right before those does really hit estrus and those bucks were really moving actively because I'd see a lot of, uh, a lot of action along scrape lines and, and near scrapes and stuff like that. And it seemed after like the seventh or eighth, you know, those would go dead and the bucks would be, you know, willy nilly, but, but where I'm at now, um, I can't say it may be after most of the does are bred and those bucks are on their feet, you know, looking for some extra ones. I'm not sure. Cause, cause it is certainly a little bit later later in the in the season i don't know why it is i just know what i see so it, it, and that's really interesting that you say that because i have one spot that i hunt in southern lehigh county where i have much better luck the third week of the season now i should say for people to think archery hunting where i live in southeastern pennsylvania we have a very long archery season it may already be closed in other parts of the state well the last two bucks i killed at that spot they were like november 17th and 18th so i get what you're saying and, and that's just from the north end to the southern end of the county so I think you guys are sharing a really good tip here is you really got to pay attention to those hyper local conditions, what the deer are doing in your area. Um, you're going to put together notes, trail cam images, and you're going to dive into the data as little or as much as you wanted to, you know, custom tailor your experience, but that's an important thing. So, um, you know, Matt, when you're going into the rut, um, what's your general approach? Now you mentioned already that you sort of want to just go out there and have a great experience. But do you ever go into like if you have your your mindset on a certain deer or a certain couple deer? What's your general approach to hunting the rut? I can tell you when I'm deer hunting, no matter what it is, I'm hunting the right conditions. I'm looking at, I mean, the wind being number one, and you know that's one of the things that I've always attributed to success is I try not to hunt a, a place if if the conditions aren't right. Sometimes I'll play the edge of the wind or what have you, but I'm always if you hunt smarter. And when the conditions are right, a lot of times more than hunting more, um, I think you can up your success odds. I, I hunt 100% with the wind direction. I mean, it, even if I'm hunting a particular deer that I might know is in there, I'm still going to I'm gonna use the wind to my advantage, whether it's getting in, getting out, and, and while you're in the stand. 
I just, I don't want to be detected. I don't want to let anything know that I'm in there. And, and that's from, you know, obviously the years of hunting with a camera, you know, every time we try to take a chance, like, yeah, we can, we can go in there. The wind's just, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but you know, we might get away with it. Every time we did that, we blew that area. And, you know, for days, because, you know, animals out there are living to watch predators and we're one of them. So if you pay attention to the wind and hunt on the conditions right, that's my biggest approach. And when it comes to the rut, you know, I'm looking for places that, and funnel is a bad term in my, my opinion, places that pinch maybe a deer, places that, and I'm hunting does. I mean, I'm always hunting does because they control everything out there. I want to be around does because as we get to the rut, I want that buck Either he's got one that's with him and he's not moving much and I'm close to where those does are living or he's out there on the look where he knows where a lot of does are. I mean, that's my approach 100% of the time when it comes to the rut. Yeah, no, that's great. I don't know if you want to add anything there, Dave, but uh, um, it, it brings up a whole other uh, topic there. And and that is uh, um, what do you sort of do? You know, there's going to be time when those, those a lot of those does are getting pressured so hard that they might seek the cover almost seems like they vanish. They don't vanish. They'll get into the thicker cover. So have you had that happen to you? How do you adjust if you need to? I have had that happen. And um, the the way I try to adjust to that is kill my buck before that happens. But um, <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? But, um, yeah, exactly. But um, like Matt was saying, you know, uh, evenings I tend to spend near food sources. Yep. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, the does, especially before they really get harassed are coming out there and, and the bucks in turn. And I mean, that's happening, you know, like we're here at the end of October right now. Like that's prime time. I, the, I haven't been out very much, but the other night I had some young bucks out, uh, you know, scent checking and, and harassing some does. And based on my trail cameras, you know, the bucks are right on the edge of daylight now, you know, they're I would think this this cold snap that's coming out here shortly should really have those deer on their feet, you know, the the older, more mature bucks. And in the mornings, I like to get back in the cover a little bit. And if you can set up between a couple bedding areas or not right on the bedding areas, I don't like to push. I'm like hunting small properties, so I, I try not to. To, to push the deer off of there because the bucks are going to be there because the does are there. But if you can get, get in something that, that deer are going to travel through, whether that's a strip of timber, whether it's a Creek bottom, uh, where I'm at, there's a lot of stone rows. So, you know, where a stone row would end or where there's a, a gate opening in the stone row, uh, you know, deer will funnel through those areas. And, uh, like Matt said, you just got to try to do your best to approach that, that the deer don't know you're in that stand. And, um, I find it, I find the most success I have is when it appears that the buck would have the wind in its advantage, but you're like right on the edge where he's just missing your scent. And I mean, it can be really hard to find spots like that, but, but over the years where I've had most of my success, that that's been it where you can get into a site without having, uh, you know, a chance of being detected where the buck still thinks he has the wind, but, but he doesn't. And, um, when you can find a spot like that, it's generally gold. And uh, I mean, you're still at the edge, you know, I mean, winds shift, they change and sometimes you get blown out, but, but, you know, to have a deer walking with the wind completely at its back is not, you know, generally they're using it to some sort of their advantage. So you need to have it where they think they have it, but, but they really can't smell where you're at. You got to relate that to people, to our own lives. As we get older, yeah. we, 
we get smarter and we change our movement. We change our habits differently every year. And and bucks, whitetails, turkeys, doesn't matter what it is, you know, they're survivalists out there. And every year, every birthday they have, they get a little tougher for us to lay our eyes on them. And, you know, trail cameras have changed the game without a doubt, you know, where people are getting a lot of their scouting done by trail cameras. I mean, you can sit in your office working and, you know, you, you got one bucket that daylights and it sends a picture to your cell phone and you're like, it's on, you know, we didn't have that 20 years ago. It's pretty amazing. No, we, we talked about that too. It's probably the one item that has changed the bow hunting world in the past decade more than anything else, especially with the advent of the cellular cameras. You know, we had trail cameras for quite a while now, but once they were able to harness that cellular technology and make them work well, it's it's sort of a game changer. And yeah, you always think to yourself, well, I should have been in the stand now. I was a buck that shows up one day at three o'clock or one day at 11 a.m. Doesn't always work that way once you get in the stand then, but it's nice because it gives you good generalizations of when deer. Like for example, at my house, I'll find if there's a buck on my camera, it'd only be in my woodlot for probably one to one and a half days, then it's gone. So that's been a great um, piece of intel for me, knowing I need to get out there. Again, if the wind conditions are right, there's only two basic winds that I can hunt my two stands on my property because of that. So it's, I mean, it's, it's really important stuff. Now, you know, we were talking about the deer showing up in daylight. Um, Matt, Dave, do you guys ever hunt, um, you know, hunt all day or days where you'll make sure you get in that stand and you sit from, from um, sunrise to sunset, dawn to dusk, however you want to say it? I'll let Dave uh, first. Sometimes, you know, uh, Mark, I did a lot of all day sits, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. As I'm getting a little bit older, uh, I tend to like to to move. Sometimes I'll go in a little bit later. You know, I may go in at 10 o'clock and hunt till dark, or uh, I may make a change, you know, hunt somewhere till nine or 10 and then get down and move to a spot that that I want to hunt for the rest of the day or, or vice versa, you know, maybe stealth till two o'clock and then, and then move. I just find it a little bit uh, more comfortable to get down and, and stretch my legs and, and move around a little bit. But if you're at the right spot and the wind's right, uh, yeah, I mean, you can kill deer. I've, I've killed a, a fair number of deer midday, especially, you know, as the rut heats up, you know, like second week in November, stuff like that. When first week in November bucks are, are moving. Uh, so it, Anytime that you're in the woods hunting, you have an opportunity to kill something, especially if you're in an area that that you have faith in. And one of the things that I use to keep myself positive, if I'm somewhere hunting, you know, and it's the last day of my vacation and yep. it's three o'clock, I'll never leave before quitting time because I know that I've just spent, you know, a week or however long it's been hunting and I haven't had that opportunity, which means those last two hours of the day. I think I have the best chance of the entire week to see something because I haven't yet. And like, if you think that way and you just keep that positive attitude and stay in the woods, good things tend to happen. Yeah. My grandpa used to tell me that if you think there's nothing around, there's nothing around. And that's what he meant. What Dave just said, you got to be positive. I'm like, Dave, I I've spent a lot of time hunting, you know, daylight till, till dark. I've shot some of my biggest deer you know, at 11, 12, one o'clock. Um, I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm, I'm kind of like Dave. I, if the conditions are right, yeah, I will stay all day, especially if I'm seeing movement. I mean, if I'm seeing movement, I know that's one of those magical days that probably need to do that. Um, but I'm kind of that morning, evening type person. I'll, 
I never, I never have gone in at 10 o'clock. I've never tried that tactic. Um, it's not a bad idea, especially if, if, if you know that one thing, I want to go back to trail cameras just real quick. Sure. One of the, one of the negative things that is happening out there and we see it a lot or people like, well, I'm not going hunting because I don't have anything on my camera. Just because you're not having anything on your camera doesn't mean that big buck's not around or whatever, or, or bucks aren't around. You got to get out there. There's nothing better than being out there yourself because there's a lot more happening around that trail camera that we don't see. Uh, if, if there's any kind of activity going in there, I mean, how many times have we been out there and we see does on one point and, and a buck's scent checking them from another ridge and, you know, things like that. And, and but to, to, you know, the more, like Dave said, the more time you can spend out there, it ups the ante. Um, you're, you're putting more odds in your, in your favor. And especially when we get down to where they're locked down with those, I think those are the days that sometimes can be, they can be tough to sit all day, but those are the times, those are the times that when we do see a lot of movement midday, because that doe gets up and moves and that buck's behind her. And that's the only time he's going to move. That's my favorite time to put in all day, all day sits. Um, especially nowadays. Not going to lie, I used to be able to go hunting anytime I want, and I hunted all year long. Nowadays, we've got to pick and choose around the, the, a schedule that I'm working here with the game commission. So when I do get time out there, unless it gets blistering hot midday, I'm pretty much going to hang around all day. Might make, might make a move about, you know, 11, 12, 12, 1 to someplace where, you know, change to evening tactics more. Like, like I like to, in the evenings, I like to hunt where the deer are going to end up. Um, in that food source or around food source or, you know, when I said earlier about Dave teaching me more than I've ever learned, especially when it comes to what deer eat. You know, I thought I knew what oaks and, and what a deer's diet was. I'm an absolute woods nerd now because I go through the woods looking for things that I never knew existed out there. And I'm ashamed to say it because I thought I knew what I was talking about. I didn't know anything. And and if more people would engage in learning trees and shrubs and plants and what is invasive and what deer favor. And, you know, in years, like we have a great mass crop here this year. So it's tough. Dude. Yeah. Things are spread out, but on years where food's scarce, it can really change the game in, in success. Oh yeah. And totally. it depends. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, and, and even in years where you have a great mass crop where you would think that, you know, the deer are going to be on those acorns are never going to be out. Um, just the other week, I was up in uh, North Central Pennsylvania hunting a big game lands, and um, and we found a ton of activity on on some of the clover fields that that were there. Um, so even though there were a lot of acorns, those deer were still coming out to feed in those freshly planted uh, clover fields because it, it was something different. Maybe they were feeding on acorns and then going out there, but there was a lot of a lot of activity in those you know freshly seeded fields. So. Um, Figuring out where they are and and what their preferred food sources can can really make a, a big difference in in your success rates. If you can find some green this time of year that deer are eating and and when everything's dying off, I mean it's a magnet. I mean it's no secret. You look at you know we all have watched outdoor television or whatever, and you know Marjorie and Lee Lukoski. I mean they're planting food plots, but that that green stuff is amazing, and and even the green stuff that's in the that, that's wild in the woods and. You know, one little thing I was just going to roll it over to Dave because it's it's short and sweet. Something that I didn't know about oaks, you know, because we always just presume that that acorns happen and white oaks and red oaks, but there's a difference between the two. And and I'll let Dave explain it. You know, the cycle of a red oak tree and the cycle of a white oak tree, and that alone is one of the biggest tips that I've learned 
I mean, it's, and it's very simple, but a lot of people don't know that. If t- Tell them, Dave. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's great information. Yeah, your white oak trees, which would be, you know, uh, chestnut oak, white oak, uh, swamp white oak, stuff like that. They flower and produce an acorn in one year where your red oak trees or, you know, the red oak group, which would be red oak, scarlet oak, pin oak, black oak, yep. uh, it takes them two years to produce their acorns. So, um, you know, like if you have a, a year where there's a, a killing frost in the spring, you may not have any of the white oak group. But if the previous spring you had good, uh, you know, good conditions, those red oak would be maturing that year and you would be able to find them. So just just knowing things like that can help you really, you know, hone in on on what type of food sources uh, are in the woods, you know, that year. Well, the other, um, the other thing, too, Dave, that you've taught me is like the white oak will immediately when it hits the ground, it starts shooting a root down. Yeah. Where a red oak lays dormant for longer and, and is more palatable longer than a white oak acorn. Correct. Yeah, the the white oaks will sprout in the fall to, you know, they'll put a radical down where the acorn will start to grow. And those red oaks don't sprout until spring. So, you know, a lot of times in late November or even December, when you see deer digging for acorns, it's almost always under uh you know, a red oak stand or a red oak tree. Uh, black oaks, I believe, are the ones that black or scarlet oaks would be your latest droppers. So, you know, even in firearms deer season, when you see deer digging through snow to eat acorns, you know, look at the tree species, and it's probably one of those red oaks, not necessarily those white oaks. So just little things like that can really help you hone in on where you might be able to find deer at what times of the year. Yeah, and, and that you know, it goes from the start of the season right through the end. Like if you're still you know, out looking to fill your tag in the late season, you, you still got to key in on those food sources, especially, especially if you're looking for a buck, like in a state of Pennsylvania, it gets pretty hard when it comes out late archery season to, to fill your buck tag, but you can do it if you really do your homework and you keep tabs on uh, food sources and what you're seeing on your trail cams and things like that. And I have to tell you, Matt, you brought up a, a huge point. It's, it's worth reiterating. We talk about it all the time. That camera or your couple of cameras that you have are really only a snapshot of what, 30 yards in front of your camera. I see all the time because I have a camera at my house, deer will walk right by the side of it. They're literally 15 yards from the camera. Well, the camera will never go off. And, you know, same thing happens in the woods because, you know, they can walk anywhere. They, yeah, there's trails and stuff, but they're not pressured. They sort of meander. And it's amazing how much activity takes place. It never triggers a camera. So it, it, the biggest thing you guys have said so far that really resonates is always stay positive and focused. Yeah, it can be hard talking about an all-day sit. To want to sit there and stare, especially if you're in the woods, just sit and stare and nothing's going on around you. Um, you know, it, it, you just need to be positive and stay focused as much as you can, because uh, once you lose that focus and then the game's up, actually, because you're going to move or you're going to do something, you're going to get lax and those deer are going to catch you way before you ever see them. And yeah, pack in extra peanut butter and jelly. And the other thing, you know, all of us are guilty of this. We're in the cell phone age. We get out there, we get on our cell phones, we start texting our buddies or looking at social media or whatever, and and be careful with that out there. Because every year I talk to more and more people like, man, I missed a big opportunity because I was looking at Facebook and looking at other people's success. I mean, I think cell phones are great, but, you know, they can pass some time out there in the woods. I mean, back before cell phones, I remember people taking, you know, handheld video games or I've seen guys take books out there and read it. But if you really, if you take it all in when you're out there and, and you're, you're, you're a predator, but you take it all in and experience everything about the woods, 
and learn something every time you go there, it keeps you positive. And, and I, you know, as we all progress, I mean, there's a time, I think, I think that's probably something out there on it, but a hunter progresses through his life from when he's in, you know, the, the wants to learn everything they can stage to they got blood squirting out of their eyes and wants to shoot every deer that comes by stage to where you get old like me. And, and, and I'm not going to speak for Dave, but we're about the same age. You become a different hunter out there where you really, you, you've perfected some skills. You're still trying to learn, but you're not as mad at him as you used to be. And, you know, and I've even noticed that even in the four years that I've worked here with Dave Mitchell, you know, when I first, I, we went to Alabama a couple of years ago where you can shoot a doe and a buck a day and taking a Pennsylvania deer hunter to Alabama and watching them, you know, take six boxes of bullets. Cause you know, it's, it, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> and, you know, in our second trip to Alabama, I could just see the progression where they were you know, every, every deer hunting culture is different across the country. Totally agree. True. Totally agree. You know, it's funny. Cause then you say, I think the last step of that is you go in the woods and you, you never take anything at all. You sit there and observe and soak it all. And I know a lot of guys when they get in their sixties and seventies, they, they'd rather do that than ever pull the trigger or ever pull back the bow ever again. So it's, it's an, it's an interesting progression that you go through, but uh, now let let me, Dave, let me I want to, let me, ahead, just, let me just say a good quote by one of my heroes, um, Ben Rogers Lee, who Ben was a world champion turkey caller and a deer hunter and from Alabama. And one of the quotes that sticks with me and it stuck with me my whole life, I never really understood it till now. And he was talking about turkeys mainly, but he said, if I could, if I could get down there and breathe life, give that old gobbler mouth to mouth and bring him back to life again, I'd do it every time. And I, I understand what he's talking about nowadays. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to touch on is we were talking about, you know, Matt, you don't have as much time to get out. Dave, I'm sure you're in the same boat. I am, too. We, most people don't have time to get out. Yeah, you might plan a week of vacation, but you don't have the flexibility to get out like 15, 20 times in a season. So, um, Dave, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, say you got three days off and the wind conditions are just terrible. What's your tactic then? What do you do? I'm sure even where you hunt, you've had a battle that from time to time. But do you mind hunting when the winds are high? What if the winds are wrong at your select stand sites? How do you adapt? I mean, I'll hunt when the conditions are not nice. Like, so if it's windy or uh, even if it's hot, if I have like if those are the days off that I have to hunt, like I will hunt them. But if the wind is wrong, so like if the winds just and, and I'm fortunate, you know, like I have various places to hunt and I set them up, you yeah. know, like I use on X and you can set your preferred wind direction and stuff. So, you know, there may be only be one stand that I can hunt, you know, like we end up getting Southeast winds or something like that, you know, something that's not a normal wind for November. Like I don't have as many stands set up for that as I do for some of those other wind directions. But if that's the case, I'll just go back to that one spot and and, and wear it out kind of, because I see no point in, in sitting there when I don't have confidence, like, if you have confidence in your spot, I can be super positive. But like if your wind is blowing into the exact bedding area that you expect the deer to come out of in the evening, like that's yep. probably not going to work for you. Now, if it's tilted just to the side where they think they have the wind, like I was talking earlier, that's like the best of everything. But when it's 100% wrong, you got to figure out, you either got to get, you got to either put a different stand up, you know, where you can set up where, where you have that advantage, or you need to go somewhere that that it that it sets up for that particular wind direction because one of the things i noticed and you know i've been fortunate with with the job that i have um we were doing a deer 
study in the Southeast. And, and, you know, we had corn out and rocket nets and night vision and everything. Uh And I watched a mature buck down towards a mass on a property we were on there and we were trying to catch a mature buck to put a collar on it. And that deer would come and he would stand up there. You could see him at night, you know, with the night vision, he would stand up on a hill. The scary thing was he had like a, a, two-year-old eight-pointer who followed his every move. Didn't really understand, I think, what was going on. But that buck would work, and he would work. He would circle that bait site. He would use the wind to his advantage, like we were in a vehicle, you know, a couple hundred yards away. And and he would always come in at night. He would always use the wind to his advantage. He would come in, then he'd leave. And like after three nights of that, he finally came in, got on bait, and uh, we triggered it. And he was so quick, he must have heard that the the caps pop in the charges because just like a buckle duck your arrow, he ducked down and got out from underneath that net before it fired. And I remember watching that and I thought to myself, holy cow, like, look how that deer uses the wind. Look how he uses the terrain. That's what they're doing when we're hunting them too. And that's always stuck with me. So, you know, you have to look for that little chink in their armor to try to set up on where it can come, you know, to your advantage. So if the weather conditions are crappy, I mean, the deer don't leave. They don't get to go to Cancun or somewhere like that. You know, they're still there. They're going to be there. But you got to try to find somewhere that you can hunt, you know, where you're not giving up everything to them. So so that would be my advice on on how to deal with those days you know try to have somewhere that you can hunt regardless of what the wind conditions doing and i mean there's times where i've gone out you know it's three o'clock you get in stand and five o'clock the wind completely switches and i don't go well i have you know another hour and a half i'll just stick it out i'll climb down i'll either go somewhere else or i'll go home because i don't want to blow that stand out um and have deer smell me and know that i'm there and then they'll you know, they'll always circle around below you and, and, and try to find, see if, uh, if someone's there. I mean, I saw that with deer trapping as well. We had, uh, yeah, we had a blind set up and a doe got downwind and, and, and I watched, she would get downwind, she would blow and, and take all the other deer with her. We eventually caught that group of deer by setting up in a vehicle a couple hundred yards away. We left the blind in place. She ran out, scent checked it, and then walked back, got underneath the net and we caught them. So when you really get to observe deer when you're not hunting them and, and you pay attention to what they're doing, um, it's amazing sometimes that we can kill them at all. The other the other thing on those days too, and, and that, that can really be a plus is use those days for some scouting. You know, and, yep. and, and you're not maybe hunting and you don't have a you don't have a wind a good setup on a southeast. You know, deer hunting doesn't necessarily mean we got to run and jump in a stand. Deer hunting is hunting. So if you can use those days to get out there and maybe explore a little bit and, and even still hunt, even when you're bow hunting, I mean, it, you, you, your success doesn't necessarily have to be in a blind or a stand. I mean, to be to good hunters can utilize any condition and adapt. So maybe cover some dirt, find a new food source, maybe find an area where deer, you know, they change all the time. Their home range is usually their home range, but where they live in that home range can change. It'd be just, it, I relate it to humans so much. I mean, if we walked out of our house every day and something was chasing us, our brains are going to, we can figure out the situation. We're going to try to stay away from that threat or that danger, or whatever. Deer are the same way, especially on pressured areas. I mean, they're going to change their habits and it's important to stay up on them. It, it, it's a, I don't care if you're hunting whitetails or turkeys or whatever, you know, scouting is still and it changes not just changes year to year it can change from a couple of days to a couple of days so putting that time in there and, and not just 
trail cameras are great, but it, nothing beats a pair of leather boots. I promise you. I, I put a target at the bottom of my yard when I was practicing for an elk hunter in the year. It's an area where the deer come through pretty regularly. I'd shoot every other day for maybe a week. After that, and I got back from the hunt, I didn't have a deer on that trail camera night or day for a month. Because they knew something was just not right between the target and my scent down there. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying that because you're talking about, like, if, if they walk by houses and stuff, people always say to time, all these, these deer are just used to it. It's, it's like, it, it's so easy. But it's not. Any little minute change, we're talking a distance of 60 yards. I put enough of my scent in there that they just stop coming through there. These are great things. And, and, and Dave, like you were saying, you, you have a chance to observe and, and sort of see how they interact and how they move and do different things throughout the day and the night. It's just they're always so alert to their surroundings and any subtle changes. And, and that's important. And, and obviously, uh, you know, we talked at the very beginning of this podcast um, about being careful as you approach your stand, how you're hunting with the wind and so forth. But uh, uh, Matt, you do a lot of scent control. Um, like, do you believe in ozone? Do you do a lot of sprays and stuff like that? What's your scent practice like? Well, I grew up working for the company that like took the scent control system to the you know, to the 10th degree. I mean, I've literally washed thousands of layers of skin off my body uh, working <laughs> for hunter specialties with scent control. So it's kind of in, it's, it's kind of in my blood. So I do, I do feel that, that I try to, I try as much as possible to keep my body clean and keep my clothes clean in an environment, not around everyday odors. Um, I do not use scent lock or ozone personally. Um, Again, I'm getting older. I don't want to carry all that crap to the woods, but I don't know. Like scent control is more of, for me, is more of that confidence factor. You yep. can't fool a deer's nose. I don't care what you do when things are wrong. I mean, we've all had deer downwind and we think we fooled them. I, you know, and we've all had deer down there that know something's wrong. I think what what happens more with scent control, it might give you a, a little bit of extra time. I'm talking seconds. For things to go on your way especially when you're hunting the edge like dave said the edge of a wind direction or something um i'm not my person that's my personal opinion there's no way to completely beat a deer's nose i mean he's living by that he or she and then those she's nose to me those does that have noses about that long those are the ones that get you every time those are the ones that have the sixth sense with everything's right and they look up and they see you sitting there you know, i don't know if they can see your smile or what that's the deer I don't want near me. That old mama doe that, you know, has a long nose, been or has lots of birthdays. I mean, it's just like at home, you know, mom had that sixth sense that knew what you were doing wrong. Dad, you know, he, he, he didn't just kind of ignore it, but your mom always was in the know of what's going on. And those, those old does are smart too. So that's my saying. I mean, I do practice scent control um, to that degree. I just have a, I have a confidence factor. And one thing that I am trying uh, more and more every year and I'm having luck with it is um, and a friend of mine the main reason I started it I did it years ago uh -huh. from one of my heroes in Ohio Mike Rex um, and a friend of mine just a couple years ago we're doing a podcast on turkeys and he, he was talking about the effectiveness it has on ticks is smoking my clothes with with campfire and, and leaves and, and put them in I, I build a little I have a little like bee smoker that I smoke my, my, my outerwear, especially that I, I literally smell like a campfire. And, um, you know, old timers did it to kill bacteria on anything. We do it now when we smoke meat to kill bacteria. Uh, I don't know if it works or not, 
but I don't think that it's blown any deer out of there. It's just more of that confidence factor for me. So no, that's not yeah. like the norm. And I don't work for any product companies anymore. So I, you know, we're not promoting that product, but I still believe wholeheartedly that in my blood that it can help. And I thoroughly believe that some of the bucks that I've been lucky enough to put in the back of a pickup truck was was because I was practicing some sort of scent control. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. You really, you know, you you we brought the topic up again. You sort of have to find what works for you. You're talking about the smoke and things like that. And you know, uh, I had a spot that I hunted for for years. Um, next to a, a university where, and I'll never forget when I was younger, my uncle would cue me. I would get up and I'd go in my stand at nine o'clock in the morning. Cause I never saw deer before nine o'clock in the morning. And he'd be like, Oh, what do you mean? You don't get up and go out in the dark and you're sitting there for an hour. Well, those deer never showed up before like 10 o'clock. And so it, you just have to adapt for what works for you. And uh, it's it just, that's basically the other bottom line. I mean, obviously do your homework and things like that, but, but you're going to find things that work and that give you the confidence and also are very effective. We, you know, all the science and studies and obviously working here, you know, I never knew how much studying we did for whitetail, but all the stuff that and the technology we have today, we still can't answer what a deer smells, the odor that a deer smells that relates it to a human being. I mean, like where you live on your four acres, a deer that lives there smells you every single day of his life right. or her right. life. They know they know you. Um, but when you put yourself out there in the woods where they know the odor that you, whether it's whether it's skin cells that you're shedding, whether it's the deodorant you wear, they know who you are. But as soon as you get out there in their house, they can detect the amount of odor is stronger, I would imagine, yeah. somehow. Yeah. And that's when they become on alert. And we don't know that answer as much as we want to say we do. That it, there's, there's never. How can we? We're not deer. We don't know how good a turkey can see. I mean, we have, we, we can guess that they can see yeah. better than we can. But like we don't, we're not them. So when you think about that, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that sometimes we can, we can play on that what we don't know. Yeah, Dave. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add to that. Now, I used to be very fanatical about my scent control approach. And as I got older, um, I just started paying way more attention to to wind direction and, and you know, access and approach. And, and I really don't do a lot of that anymore. I mean, like, I don't, you know, spray down with anything. Like, I wash my clothes and, yep. and you know, take a shower and things like that. But, but those over-the-top scent control tactics, I, I just... I just stopped doing it and, and I really haven't seen a change in my success rate. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, mean, I came from the day when people took chlorophyll pills. So they're there. Anything that came out of their body didn't have any odor. And I mean, I'm, I've seen people go above and beyond being fanatics about that. And the biggest thing that it did for them, it built their confidence. And, and, and again, we'll go back to that confidence factor without confidence, success, success comes better with more confidence. I agree. Dave, you know, when you and I first got to know each other, you were the local land manager here. And obviously in Pennsylvania, we have an extensive game lands uh, system. I'm guessing it's 1.5 million acres of public land alone. And, and now you're the executive director of, of field operations. So I wanted to ask you a specific question. And that is, you know, we've talked a lot and these are, we all hunt mostly private land. But what about the guy that only hunts public land? Is there anything that you have any tips for somebody who hunts almost exclusively on public land? for deer and what they need to do their up their odds or success. 
So I've started since I've gotten this position, um, even though like I do have access to those private properties, uh, the most my most favorite hunting is going to our large tracts of of game lands in like north central and northwestern pa uh, uh-huh. i usually plan a couple of trips up there and and a couple things that that i found is the game lands around population centers get a lot of hunting pressure and they're very difficult to hunt when you get to those big tracts of land the hunting pressure is probably lower than on almost all private property uh that the people hunt on and uh the age class of bucks is exceptional there are like really good deer now they're not easy to kill because the reason i like to hunt game lands is we have great habitat like our foresters our land managers go out there and they put really good quality habitat on the ground but but i would suggest even though it may be inconvenient you know get out of your comfort zone get out of that area that's close by your house and if there's any way that you can free up the time go to some of those bigger tracks of land and you know that are north of i-80 and and don't believe the hype that there's that there's no deer on them because um where there's good quality habitat uh this year i don't know we demapped which were the deer management assistant program we might have done 15 or 20 game lands and the reason we put those tags out there was because there's two too high a deer impacts on them you know, uh-huh. we're not getting the regeneration that we need um so when you go into those areas i mean you can actually see um uh, there's there's a tremendous amount of deer sign and there's a lot of deer and uh you can have some really really good quality hunting but it's not convenient you're going to have to walk a little bit of a distance you're going to have to maybe travel away you know like if you live in lancaster or or somewhere like that you know it's not right around the corner but if you can free up you know three days a week, whatever, uh, look at an Airbnb, look at, uh, you know, going camping at a state park or something like that and, and get out of your comfort zone, go up there and explore some of our big tracks of, of public land. And I think you would be amazed at the quality of deer hunting that's out there. I know, uh, Matt had the opportunity. It wasn't an archery season, but, uh, he probably saw more bucks on a piece of public ground, uh, one day in rifle season than he probably thought existed there. But, uh, the the deer are out there. You just got to take a little bit of time and and find them. The, the biggest tip I have for that, and and, and it, it doesn't involve deer season at all. The best time to scout those tracks are in May when you're turkey hunting. Um, Dave and I spent some time in that northern tier and and, and on some big tracks turkey hunting uh-huh. where we find we find areas that we're like we're coming back here in in November, pinch points and you know ridge tops and like twenty scrapes in a row and it's like places people don't get to because, well, I mean, we're being pretty mobile turkey hunting, but if you went and spent a couple of days when the conditions are right in November, it would probably blow your mind. And, and, you know, I'm not going to lie to you 15, 20 years ago, like Dave said, don't believe the hype about deer. I mean, deer, deer. And and I lived through the times where you saw 25 deer in a herd and the last that spike buck was chasing them up over the ridge. I've I've been there. Our deer population is pretty strong in a lot of places, but deer aren't going to live in, in a habitat or, or where they don't have the habitat to have cover, to have something to eat and have something to drink. I mean, it's just like us, we have a habitat too. And that is important. Those wide open woods that are gorgeous, especially this time of year when the leaves are changing in fall, there's not a whole lot there for a deer to, to live on, but you get to a, a thicket or, you know, all the operations that are happening on game lands where we're creating habitat, uh, clear cuts and, and timber operations, we're creating that habitat for a reason. Um, 
that's what our mission is, is, you know, to make sure that that's the stuff lives for a long time. And those areas right there are real important to, to be around, especially when you're chasing deer and you can scout 365 days a year. And when you, when the more you scout, the more time you put in, you can put yourself in the right places. Oh yeah. And I don't want to, like, if you look at some, there's some people that I know, and I'm not going to name them to protect them and them, their spots, but you know, they'll go out in, in March and April and they'll end up picking up a hundred whitetail sheds off of public land and some pretty doggone big sets. Uh, like the deer are out there. And I know Matt and I have found, you know, some pretty nice sheds when we were turkey hunting. So they're there. Uh, you just need to make that conscious effort to to maybe yeah. get out of your comfort zone and, and get up there and look. And I would say the advice you're both sharing applies to most of the states in the country. If you do your homework, you can find some really good parcels to hunt on on public land and contact your land managers, contact your biologists, and then get out on the ground and scout. And like you said, scout in the spring, scout during turkey season. That'll really lay the foundation for, for later in the year. Yeah, we have all these great tools like Onyx and things like that, but you still need to get out and do that on the ground scouting. I know you guys are busy. I actually wanted to wrap up with one last question. Um, for both of you, if you don't mind, because we've covered a lot here, and uh, we'll 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 stick with you, Dave. But Matt, I want to hear from you too. All we talked about: what is your number one tip for somebody who wants to up their game and have more success during the rut? What would you tell them? Oh, Mark, you know, probably hunt where the does are. I mean. Uh, I, you know, if you can, we talk about some of those other things about tracking days when you see most of the buck activity and hunting without them knowing that you're there and having the wind in your favor. But, but probably the most important thing is, is hunt around those does, uh, because the bucks are looking for them. So if you can find a spot where you have a group of does, or you can find a feeding area that has a lot of does using it, uh, if you can hunt that area, especially if you're undetected at some point, um, bucks are going to show up there. So if that's what your goal is, uh, that's what I'd do. If you want to start getting into those individual deer, you know, it's a little bit different, but if, if you're generally, you know, looking to be successful during the run, probably the most important thing to do would be to focus on where the does are and, and hunt those areas. Matt, do you have anything you want to add there? I mean, I, I, you've done so much hunting and like you said, you've hunted across the country for whitetails, but you're going to share one piece of advice for somebody. What's it going to be? Well, I'm I'm going to do a little two part here because I have two that are real important. One's, you know, we're we are a predator as humans. We have the ability to reason. Don't ever forget that. Use use what our ability is to make your hunt successful, and think about it. Just don't you know rush into it. You know, you, use what tools are out there. But I think the biggest piece of advice, and this this is coming from my old days, but I I, I promise you, beyond anything, if you're not using a deer call when you, when you're out in the woods you're limiting your success because there's those times when a buck 60 yards and you hit him with a grunt call that it turns the tables and he ends up in bow range. And obviously I work for the game commission now, so I'm not trying to sell anybody a deer call, yep. but I promise you that, that that is one of the most important tools. A sim- I mean, their vocalization is not like turkeys. I mean, they do have vocalizations, but it's that curiosity. And the biggest thing with deer calls in, in my opinion is when, you know, is, is using it at the right time because so many times you hit a grunt call buck looks and he doesn't see another buck, you know, make sure that, you know, he's not looking at you when you call, make sure that if he turns and comes to you, put the call down and get your release strapped up to the bowstring. But 
put one in your pack and use it. It's not going to work every time, but you're never going to forget a deer call when you go to the woods if it happens to you one time in your life. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I've had it happen twice that it worked for me, but it's 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 interesting because sometimes they turn and come in a beeline. Now, you know, you might have different success with those in different states, but uh, uh, thank you. So much. Now, we've covered a lot. I should probably ask you, gentlemen, you have a wealth of knowledge. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up here before we wrap up? I'd just like to wish everybody good luck. You know, be safe out there. If you're getting off the ground, make sure you're strapped in. Um, there's there's no excuse not to be buckled from the ground to the to the seat. You know, when you get out there, I mean, where we're at today, it's the best life insurance policy you could ever buy. Yeah. You know, absolutely. be safe. The biggest thing is have fun, enjoy it, and 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 tell somebody about it. Tell tell them how much fun hunting is and how important hunting is to the future and conservation. I think that's the biggest thing that as hunters that we all owe it to this sport is to project it in the way that it is. It is conservation and we need to, sh we, we need to just all band together. We can't divide ourselves between if you'd like to hunt with a muscle loader, a bow, a crossbow, expandable, what, whatever. We can't divide ourselves and we, we have to be one out there and have one voice. But the biggest thing is have fun. I mean, you can't have fun with it. it you can take it as serious as you want, but you still got to have fun every day. Yeah, I would echo that. And, uh, you know, we're appreciative of in Pennsylvania and, and nationwide of the money that hunters spend that comes back to conservation to manage our wildlife. You know, at the end of the day, um, hunting is what pays for wildlife conservation. So we'd like to thank everybody uh, for participating. And like Matt said, you know, I'd encourage everybody to go on an adventure and have fun. And, and an adventure doesn't need to be, you know, going from Pennsylvania to Colorado. It could be going from southeastern Pennsylvania up to north central Pennsylvania with you and three of your buddies. You know, take take three or four days and rent a state park cabin and, and go out and explore some some new country we have so much public land available to us here uh we're spoiled we're fortunate and um get out there and use it uh it doesn't matter like i said if it's here or if it's in you know southeast ohio wherever it is go out and and enjoy our public lands enjoy hunting and, and just have a good time well thank you guys so much and and that's just the perfect way to wrap up um you know I wish you both good luck as you get out, not only in bow season, but the rest of the year. And uh, for everybody who's listening, not much to say. The time is here. We all live for this. It's the exciting time of the year as the, the rut comes in. And we'll see you all next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.